I really don't remember a lot about being born. Uh, apparently I was. Um, if I remember, it was, I was born in the, the hospital to be close to my mom. Uh, it was a long time ago, and really I don't remember planning it. I don't remember personally myself uh, having a lot to, to do with it. I can't really take credit for, for being born. And that's my physical birth. And we're going to talk about that, and we're also going to talk about the second birth today, being born again, our spiritual birth that we have. And we're going to see there's a lot of similarities uh, between these two births that we have. This passage that we're looking at is going to be about the, the second birth and really the miracle of the second birth. Sometimes we talk about a baby being born as, as a miracle, and maybe in a real general way it is. Uh, but the second birth being born again by the Holy Spirit through the Word is a legitimate miracle. It is something legitimately supernatural that God has to intervene into this world for this to happen. Otherwise, it does not happen. It happens by Him and because of His power. So the message for today is born again through the living Word. A few weeks ago, when we talked about verse uh, Three, we had a message that was called Born Again to a Living Hope. So we have talked about the new birth already in First Peter. It's, it's a theme. And so yes, you, if you are a Christian, if you are born again, you are born again to a living hope. That's huge. That's a big deal. And this passage tells us how this happened. And it tells us that it happens through the word of God. So we are going to look at this section here in two parts. Uh, We have the ending of chapter 1, and then we're also going to be going three verses into chapter 2. When Peter wrote this, he did not divide it up with with chapter divisions or or verse divisions. Those were added later. So although it seems like we're straddling two different chapters, you're going to see both of these are about the Word of God, and they really do tie together. So let's read... uh, in chapter 1, 22 through 25 first. And in this section, we're going to see that the word of God is essential for new birth, essential for being born again. And there's lots of practical applications here as well, too. So, First Peter, chapter 1, starting at verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, Love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower fails, falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So we'll stop there for a moment, and we're going to look at this. And rather than just going verse by verse through this, I want to think through the the logic in some of this. So we're actually going to talk about the application last. So we'll circle back around to the application after we look at the, the, the foundation for this. But the first thing I want to point out when we look at this passage is that it is teaching us that being born again is a work of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God. This is how we are born again. Uh, We talk about being born again. Uh, Sometimes this is referred to as regeneration, 
which if you think about it, that really means the same thing, to be born, to be generated, to be you know, created uh, again, re. So we're being recreated, we're being born again. And Jesus said in John chapter 3, verse 3, he, he taught us that this is essential, that in order to see the kingdom of God, you must be born again. He didn't say you ought to. He didn't say that it is something that would, would help with seeing the kingdom of God and being saved and going to heaven. He said this was a requirement, that this is the way, uh, if you are going to be saved, if you are going to be in the kingdom of God, you're going to be with uh, Christ one day in this repaired, redeemed relationship, that you need to be born again. If you look back at John 3, it also teaches us that being born again is the work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus teaches that. So we see that there is the, the Holy Spirit's involvement, and in this passage we also see that there is the, the Word of God. So you could think of these as, as two kind of factors coming together, but I think it's probably best to think of it that it's the Holy Spirit working through the Word of God to cause us to be, to be born again. Sometimes people talk about being born-again Christians, and so that's what we're, we are talking about, although we have to realize there's a sense that a born-again Christian is really uh, a, uh, that's a redundant phrase. Uh, because unless you're just talking about Christian in a really general sense, everyone that claims on Facebook to be a Christian or something like that, to be a real legitimate Christian, I mean, that is to be born again. Uh, it is a redundant phrase that really you shouldn't have to, to say. Uh, it's like people say PIN number. You, know, you, have, you enter your PIN number. Uh, that's, that's a redundant thing. You know, because uh, PIN means personal identification number. So when you say PIN number, you're saying, you know, you give me your personal identification number, number. Or another, um, a, a theological kind of redundant phrase, we talk about free grace. That's redundant too. There's, that's the only kind of grace there is, is free grace. If we say we're saved by grace, uh, I mean, you can add free on there to make sure people get it. But if it's a grace that you earn or a grace that you work for, you don't understand what grace is. I mean, by definition, grace is free. And so when we see the Bible teaching that we are saved by, by God's grace, it is a free gift. It is not something that we earn, not something that we, we pay for, not something that's by our effort or merit at all. It is something that God has given to us freely. So here we're talking about being Christians or being born again, being born again Christians. Uh, this goes along with, with being saved or having saving faith. You never have one without the other. There is no uh, type of person that is, is born again that doesn't have saving faith or that has saving faith that, that is not born again. These two things uh, always go together. They're inseparable. They're not the exact same thing, but they're inseparable. So being born again or rebirth re refers to this, this regeneration, this new life, a new heart uh, that is caused in us, created in us by the, the Holy Spirit. We see the Holy Spirit works through his word. So preaching the gospel is essential, but regeneration is an act of God. As I mentioned, it is literally a miracle. It is something that God is coming into this, this natural order, into this world and doing, that our hearts on our own would not be changed unless he was working. It is not something that humans can produce. You did not give birth to yourself. You cannot give birth to yourself. In the same way, you can't cause yourself to be born again. Yes, we are called to respond to the gospel. We are called to do that. But 
being born again is a, is a work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does it, but it's, it's through God's word. When I talk about different elements, um, I, I think thinking of fire is helpful. Because if you learn in school, fire requires three elements. You take away any one of those, and you can't have fire. And so you need, for there to be fire, there needs to be heat, there needs to be oxygen, and there needs to be some kind of fuel. So right, if you think of uh, being born again in, in salvation, uh, you need the, uh, the word of God, you need the Holy Spirit, and well, I guess if you think of a third one, you need a, a sinner to be saved. And for these things to come together and to, to, to work, and this produces, if, if fire needs those three things, saving faith needs the word, the Holy Spirit, and, and the sinner. So if we think about this, what we're seeing so far, says having your soul purified, purified your soul by obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love, and talks about loving one another earnestly, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. This means that you had an impure heart, but it was changed and it was, it was purified when you had, it says your obedience to the truth. I think it's another way of saying when you heard and believed the gospel message, you now have a, born, a new born again heart or a new inner core. And it's not like the sinful heart you had when you were first begotten. Instead, you were begotten by means of a different kind of seed. The seed is, is the word of God. So we talk about the Holy Spirit being essential. Today, we're especially seeing that the, the word of God is essential. The, the preaching of this. This word of God is the good news that was preached to you. And salvation comes, and it's essential for the word of God, the gospel message. Gospel means news, and it needs to be communicated. I think another passage that makes this really, really clear, if you have scripture, you can flip over to Romans chapter 10. And I think it's important because there are, there are people today that teach that um, you don't necessarily need the word of God. Maybe people can be saved in all kinds of different ways. We see Paul viewed this as a very essential thing, that if we're taking the gospel message places, if people are going to be able to call upon the Lord, they need to hear the message communicated to them. In Romans chapter 10, if we look at this, it says, uh, starting in verse 13, it says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So calling out to the Lord to, to save you, trusting, and when it talks about the Lord here, it, a few verses before, it says Jesus is Lord. This is talking about calling on Jesus Christ to be your Savior, to save you. And so I hope that you have done this. If you have not done this, I hope that God will work through this message and, and the words that you hear for you to realize that you need to be born again and that you will call out to him. And this tells us how it's done that, and promises us that everyone who calls in the name of the Lord, turning to him, trusting him completely, will be saved. But then it gives us some logic that explains this a little bit more. It says in verse 14, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed. This is saying, well, you can't call on Jesus to save you if you have never believed in him. And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? So if you're going to believe in him, if you're going to accept this message and call on him, well, you need, to, you need to hear about him. And then it goes on and says, and how are they to hear without someone preaching? So unless the message is taken to them in one way, shape, or form by, by preaching or giving scripture or communicating to them, they're not going to be able to know this message and to be able to respond to it. And then it says, 
And how are they to preach unless they are sent? And it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? See, there it refers to obeying the gospel, not as doing good works, but just as believing it and responding to it. Who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. So we see here, just made really clear, the importance of the word of God, that we need this, and we need it communicated. If you're seeking the, the salvation of your friends, you're seeking the salvation of, of your neighbors, we need the, the message, the truth, to be given to them. Just treating them well, being nice and smiling, isn't going to help them to, to realize that they are a sinner and that God is holy and that God sent his, his only begotten son to this world who became fully man and died on the cross in their place and offers salvation as a, as a free gift uh, received just through faith. They need that explained to them. They need to see that from Scripture. And there's a supernatural power that the Holy Spirit puts in Scripture and works through Scripture, His Word, that causes this change in heart that people have. This is why we send missionaries and why we support missionaries. Because people aren't going to look at the the beauty of their surroundings. Uh, They may look at that and realize that Romans tells us that there is a God and we're accountable. They suppress that knowledge. But in order to have the knowledge of the gospel to be saved, the word needs to be taken to them. And so that's why we, we support missionaries like the Dannenbergs, and we pray for them, and we're glad for the work that they're doing, taking the gospel. And, and thankful to hear about the, uh, those in Africa that are looking to take the gospel uh, other places and to bring it back here, because people need it. We need to hear the word of God. Now, some might object and say, we really shouldn't confine the work of the Holy Spirit uh, you know, that's putting him in a box, isn't this? To say it has to be, you know, only through the connection of the word of God being communicated. My reply to that, if you think it's putting the Holy Spirit in the box, realize this, this is his word, okay? First of all, he's the one telling us this through the words that he inspired. And this is, this is his word. I mean, it is the word of God. The Holy Spirit communicated this message through the apostles and the prophets, he is the one that inspired these words to be written down. And if this is the way that God chooses to work, then it is not disrespectful to go along with the way that he says, this is how it is to be done. And I cause this to be done. So this is through God, this is through his word. In this passage, as we look about it, as we look at it, so first of all, we see it's a work of the Holy Spirit. We also see here, that Christians are begotten the second time through an incorruptible seed, through specifically God's word. So each of us was originally begotten um, by corrupted seeds as the as seed as descendants of, of Adam. And I use the word begotten here, which uh, is a way that this can be translated as well and it reminds us that it's, it's not just birth but it goes way back to the beginning when when you were conceived when you were begotten of a different kind of of seed uh, that we were begotten with and part of this we come into this world as members of of adam's family 
And being a descendant of Adam, we are born, we are guilty. We're guilty because of Adam's sin that he committed. Remember, God created him good, but then he sinned and, and turned away. And because of that, uh, we, are, we are guilty of his sin, and we have inherited corruption and pollution. Uh, sometimes it's referred to as, as original sin, the consequences of Adam's sin uh, applying to us and in a sense being passed down to us as well, the corruption of that. But now, born-again Christians are begotten by means of a different seed, so with a new type of life, because it's a new character, a new type of seed, and this is, this is God's word. And this passage describes what this seed is like that gives us not our first birth, our, our first begetting, but our second birth. And it uses these phrases and says that it is imperishable, it's living, it's abiding. You know, today is Valentine's Day. And so uh, if, if you didn't realize that, yeah, today is the day to you know, get your wife some flowers. Um, I bought my wife flowers like a month ago, okay, because she had her birthday. So I thought, wow, that's all taken care of. Except those flowers didn't last. They're, they're not around. So I had to buy new flowers for her. Um, which I realize, maybe the tip is, I mean, we we'll won't have to do this, just buy really good plastic flowers. So just file that away. You give it to her birthday, give it to Valentine's Day. After a while, you just kind of hide them away, bring it out again. So a little advice for you. Um, I, I'm also available for marriage counseling. Uh, <laughs> you do take that advice. So flowers fade. They don't last. You know, when you cut a flower, you, you're, you're killing it. It's cut off from life. But the word of God uh, is living. It's, it's not a dead letter. It is living truth. And has God, the Holy Spirit's power and authority and work continually through it. That's what is so valuable and so important. And it can do supernatural things in our lives as, as we take it to heart and we, we look at it and we study it and we obey it. The word of the Lord remains forever. Human words do not remain forever. Uh, so many things that we think is, is our knowledge, that is our truth, uh, do not last. An example of this, I remember a few years ago, and I was having trouble with my sinuses. I know some people do, but I was having, you know, I would wake up in the morning and feel like I had like a face full of cement. And I remember I was at my parents' house, and we got talking about this, and I was thinking, what is even the purpose of having sinuses? I mean, wouldn't it just kind of be better off without sinuses, these you know, holes, these like, caves in your, in your head and in, in your bones that you have? They seem to just cause a lot of trouble. And so it just kind of had me thinking, and I was wondering, well, I, I know there's, there's got to be a design purpose for why we have sinuses. So I was at my parents' house, and I remember they had a set of a world book encyclopedias. I remember I'd look through them as, as kids. And so I got the world book encyclopedia, and I found the uh, part on sinuses. And this is from the 1960s. These were older in uh, World Book Encyclopedias, okay? And so as I looked this up, I looked the, the entry on sinuses, okay? And I was able to find this on Internet Archives, and, and so I have an exact quote here. This is the explanation in the World Book Encyclopedia for why you have sinuses, okay, from, from the 1960s. And this is the only explanation in this entry. I read to you. In the front of the, if, okay, if the front of the skull were solid bone, the face would be very heavy. 
it would tend to rest on the chest. The sinuses lighten the weight of the skull and make it easier to hold up the head and to balance it on the neck. That's why you have sinuses. Because if, you, if it was all solid, your face would be super heavy and you'd walk around like this. I, that's what it says. I told that to my doctor one time and he just laughed and he explained real reasons for it. But that just amazed me. You know, the word of humanity, things we think are true, things we, things we think are just settled fact, uh, they come and go. But the word of God abides forever. This is truth. It's written by a God that designed us, designed this world. He knows past, present, and future. He knew what people needed 2,000 years ago, and he knew what you needed to hear today from God's word. This is written with you in mind, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and therefore it is speaking to you and I today still. So this is, it's a new type of seed. It's a different type of seed that we are, we are begotten from, that we are born from. And so because it is different, it also produces a different type of life in us. This new birth is a different type of life that we have. And so at this point, we're going to circle back around to the beginning and think about the the application from this. Because you have a new heart from a different kind of seed, live out a different kind of life. Specifically, love one another. Verse 22 again says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Your heart as a sinner, corrupted by sin. But now God is, is, has created a new heart in you, giving you a new nature. And yes, there's still the remaining effects of sin. Uh, that, and that's not going to be finished up until... Uh, God takes you in glory. Okay, so we're still in progress, but you have this, this new core that God is giving us, and we're to live out of that. And the old core that we had is selfish. The old core, the old heart we have, I mean, we're not talking about the, 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 the organ that, that beats, okay? When we talk about our heart, we're talking about our core. What is the real you? What is the innermost part of you? And God, at salvation, he is, he is changing that, and he's making you a new person from the inside out. And so you need to catch, are you living out of the new heart, or are you living out of the, the remains of the old heart, the old sin, the old in- infection, everything that's still in there that God is working to purify you from? And when we are uh, backbiting each other, when we are full of envy and slander and malice towards each other, we're living out of the old sinful heart. But the new heart is able to do something that the old heart could never do, which is have genuine love for one another. Now, people in the world think that sometimes they love one another, but so much of the stuff that happens in the world is really self-interest. You know, people give the charity to make themselves feel well. Or maybe there's sometimes where just by God's common grace, you know, he's working through people. But this new heart that we have gives us a new love that we're able to have for other people. And it's, it's an effect of being saved. And it's a a sign that we have been saved. You read 1 John, it talks all about this, that having love for others is a sign that, that, that there is real life, that you have been born again. And today, as I mentioned, it is Valentine's Day. And so many people, when they think of love in the world today, they think about, it's about romance, or some kind of romantic love, or uh, even something less uh, PG-rated. But the love that it's talking about here, uh, the, the genuine love, this, this, this true love, 
is not romance, but it's, it's action, it's care. It does involve an affection of the heart, but it's an affection of the heart that causes us to seek the good of other people, to put other people first, to love the way that God loved us when he came and he was willing to die on the cross for us while we were still sinners. So love, this type of love that is generated in our heart by the, by the new birth, having a born-again heart, needs to be love that's put into action. You can't just sit around and just feel love towards people. We need to put that into action. Uh, and that means praying for people, but that also means doing tangible things to help, to serve other people as well. And it definitely means we don't do things that would damage another person, that would hurt them, that would do what's not in their best interest or draw them away from God. And so as we move on to the next part, we're going to keep that in mind. Loving people also means not, not hurting them or, or doing what is damaging to them. So the Word of God, we see here, it's essential for new birth. It's absolutely essential. Uh, but it's not just about being born, but what about after you're born? Is, that's, its job is done. No, we're going to see in this next section, these next three verses, that the Word of God is essential for newborns. So it's essential for new birth, but then it's also essential for newborns. So back to First Peter, now into chapter 2. Starts with the word so. So it, this is connecting. It's giving an uh, application here again. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. You see here, the word of God is essential, not just for spiritual birth, but also for spiritual growth. So the word of the Lord, it's, it's the spiritual seed that causes you to be uh, begotten, causes you to be, to be born again, but it's also the milk that you need to, to grow and to, to be healthy and for your spiritual life to be nourished. It's what God uses to help uh, keep us alive and, and healthy. See, babies need to be born. Yes, they do. And they also need to grow. And Christianity isn't just about being born, not just about getting saved and that's it. Christianity is about growing in a, in a healthy spiritual life. And for that, we need the, the milk and the nutrients that comes from God's word. So let me, from this passage, give uh, just two big kind of applications from this. So first, if this is all true, you need to crave the pure word of God like a baby craves milk. That's what this passage tells us. Verse 2, like newborn infants long for or crave the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. Think about it. When a newborn is hungry, you know, what does it do? I should uh, call over to the nursery and you know, have, them, have them bring in any babies here, visual aid. And, uh, see, they're going to they're gonna make some noise if, if they're hungry. Uh, they will crave that word, and they will let you know that they are craving this word. The word here for, for crave or desire, this is a strong word that is being used. 
it doesn't just mean, oh, you, you'd like to have it or it's nice. That you are, you are wanting this. You are demanding this. You have to have this. Like a baby, you will cry out for this. Think of how much a baby wants milk. It demands it cries. So how much do you want God's word? Your old heart didn't care about spiritual things. Your old heart didn't care about the word of God, but your new heart does. It wants these. And this is a sign of regenerated life. Okay, this is a sign of having a, a born-again heart. This is a good sign if you are starting to find yourself caring about the word of God, that you are, you are hungering, you are thirsting for this word. Because there's a time before you are a Christian, um, I think of myself as well, when this just seems boring. Why do I have to sit through hearing about the, you know, the Bible and these stories and all words and, oh, let's talk about each word and uh, see what it has to say. But then something changes. The Holy Spirit does a work in our heart and all of a sudden, this word becomes life to us. It becomes uh, nutrients. It becomes something that we, we desire and we hunger for. And so when a baby cries out for milk, that means that's a healthy thing. Uh, it may mean you're getting less sleep, but it, it's a healthy thing. It's a sign of life. And this is a sign of a born-again heart. Newborns need it. If you have a newborn child, it, it needs that milk to, to grow and to be healthy. And in this passage, when it talks about spiritual milk, there's nothing negative about that. There's a few other places in Scripture that you might remember. Um, in 1 Corinthians 3 and Hebrews 5, where it talks about, okay, there's the milk of the word and then the meat. And there it's talking about, as you, as you grow, you need to kind of move off the baby food and get into the, the spiritual meat. Not just stay with the, the simple basic stuff, but even more you know, challenging and things to, to grow. Now, that's those other passages, okay? And that's, and that's teaching a, a truth that, that is true. But Peter here, that's not what he's doing. He's just saying that the word of God is, is like milk. There's nothing negative about milk here using this. This is what you need, and we ought to crave it like a, like a baby craves this milk. And we should crave milk that is, that is pure, not watered down, not polluted. Notice it says, long for the pure spiritual milk. You don't want polluted milk. As I think of this, I realized um, it made me think of the um, probably the one of the most grand cinematic achievements in the past 20 years, uh, which is, of course, the movie Napoleon Dynamite, uh, which I never thought I would quote as an illustration uh, at church. But if you've seen it, there's a scene in there where they have these uh, high school guys and they're like a Future Farmers of America uh, type th event. And they're in this competition, and it seems like the competition is like, guess the milk defect. And so they have these different uh, things of milk, and one is kind of green looking and different colors, and they're drinking it, and they do great. One's like, uh, this cow is in an onion patch. And another, another drinks it and says, the defect in this milk is bleach. Uh, <laughs> you, know, you want pure spiritual milk. Okay, you don't want a contaminated milk. We don't want the word of God to be contaminated by... Uh, by, by our ideas stuffed into this. We don't want, pure, we don't want uh, the word of God with a bunch of additives to it. We don't want it with false teaching. We don't want it with heresy. What you need to grow is you need pure spiritual milk. The word in, for pure in verse 2 is also the negative of the word that is used for deceit in verse 1. It's kind of uh, just, it's made in the original language as the opposite of deceit. And this word was used uh, back in the day. If you had people in the marketplace that would be selling like milk or something, um, pure, there it meant it was not watered down. 
think of, say you have a gallon of milk and you want to make some more money, you know, dump another, uh, you know, half gallon of water in there. Now you've got a gallon and a half to sell. And maybe they can't tell any difference. Maybe it's, it still looks white, it still looks good, but it's, it's not pure. It's, it's watered down. What is the spiritual milk that you're drinking? Is it, is it pure or has it, been, has it been watered down? And I think we have to admit that so often in American Christianity especially, um, in our devotional lives, in, in church after church, you know, it may look like it's a, it's a full glass of milk, but how much of it is just watered down? And maybe it's still kind of white looking, it still kind of looks like milk, but it's not going to give us the nutrients. These watered down messages, watered down water down truth. You know, God has designed moms so that the milk that it gives to the baby has, it's amazing, just everything that that baby needs. Just the exact combination of nutrients that it needs. And God has designed this milk that he has that gives you as a Christian everything that you need. You don't need things added to it. You don't want things subtracted from it. The pure spiritual milk is what, is what nourishes us. But we need to put God's word to our mouth. Okay, we need to taste it. It says, if indeed you have tasted that the, the Lord is good, we need to do that in order to drink, in order to be nourished. To taste something here, I mean, to taste that the Lord is good, uh, to taste is another way to say to experience something. And if you want to experience the Lord's goodness, a way to do it, such as the key way it's talking about here, how do you experience the Lord? It's really, it's through his word. We experience the Lord through his word. Now, some may say, well, it's, I can't uh, experience God just through, his, just through his word. I mean, that's something else. That's not him. When I was in, I uh, graduated from college, and Hope, uh, I started dating. Uh, she moved back to Florida, and I was in Chicago, and we would spend time on the phone. And I remember the one time in the summer, and this was before uh, cell phones with unlimited long distance, and you had to use calling cards and have phone bills for long distance. Uh, but I remember getting the phone bill one time, and I had racked up a bill of $400 uh, in order to experience my wife through her words. But I wanted that. I wanted to experience her through her words. And we want to, as Christians, experience the Lord God through his word that he, has, that he has given to us. Psalm 119, 103 says, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I mean, if the word of the Lord is like honey, we need to realize that honey is sweet. I mean, it just is. If you don't think that honey is sweet, uh, there, there's something kind of wrong with you. All, you. all you need to do is put honey to your tongue, and if you have a properly functioning tongue, it will experience honey as, as sweet. Uh, so I don't need to convince you that it's sweet. It just, it just is. But it does mean that you need to actually put it to your tongue. You need to connect with it. Okay? If you just have the honey and you just keep it at a distance and maybe you look at it or from once in a while, you're not going to experience it as sweet as it would be if you're putting it to, to your tongue. I think of this, there could be a few different ways then. If you don't experience the word of God as sweet like honey, one of them could be you're just not putting it to your tongue. You're not, you're not tasting it. You're keeping it at a distance. You're not spending time in the word of God. 
You know, another reason, and this explains it for a lot of people, is, well, dead people don't taste much, okay? I mean, you can put all the honey you want, you know, on some corpse's tongue, okay? And that corpse is not going to experience the sweetness. Before you are born again, we are dead in our sins. And so before you are born again, our, our spiritual taste is, is broken. It's, it's wrecked. We can't taste things. And so the spirit of, uh, we are not going to experience the sweetness of the word of God. But when you're given this new life, Scripture talks about, you know, opening the eyes of our heart. All these different things, opening our ears, all these things so that we experience what was there and we realize it. And so maybe you can testify to that too, that when you got saved, you started experiencing the sweetness of the word of God. I guess I think there could be another way too. Um, you know, a lot of people, if, when they get COVID, um, you know, all of a sudden they can't taste anything. And when I had it, I didn't have those symptoms. I know other people have that. And it's like, I'm trying to eat this and I can't even taste anything. And uh, this better go away because my life would be meaningless. Um, <laughs> but it could also be a sign that just something is wrong. You know, if the word of God to you is, is, is not sweet, um, yeah, it may be a sign that you're, you need to be born again. But it could also be a sign that there's some kind of, you're sick somehow. Maybe there's sin, maybe there's something in your life that is uh, interfering with this, that's keeping you from experiencing this. And still go to the Word of God, pray, ask for His help, and repent of if there's things that in your life are not right. Because maybe that is, is blocking you from having the sweetness and the, the joy that you would have otherwise. And a lot of practical tips. Psalm 34, 8, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. You know, I, I encourage you, to, if you weren't here, if you didn't see uh, John Dannenberg's message at the nine o'clock service, there's some parts in there where he was talking about these, uh, experiencing the word of God, being in the word of God, desiring the word of God. And there was some really, there was a really helpful section in there about some practical tips. So if you weren't for, there for that, I encourage you to go to Facebook, find that message and listen to that as well. But we need to desire the word of God. How much are you willing to desire the word of God? How much are you, what are you willing to do to even have the word of God? I remember reading the account, true story of a man named Hein Pham. And he was a Christian. He lived in, in Vietnam. And during the Vietnam War, he would, uh, he helped the, the Americans. He did a lot of translation work because he knew English as well as Vietnamese. So he did translation work for the U.S. military and also sometimes did uh, translation for, uh, for missionaries. But after Vietnam fell, uh, he was arrested and he was accused of aiding and abetting the Americans and put in prison many times. And, and during one very long jail sentence, uh, his captors, uh, his, they did everything they could to try and indoctrinate him against what they viewed as the West. So against anything that was American, anything having to do with capitalism, and, and definitely anything having to do with, with Christianity, which he thought is just, you know, that's just part of it for the West. And so, you know, this new regime was uh, communist and, and atheistic, and they were trying to break him from having, uh, you know, any of those views. So he was cut off from reading anything in English at all. He could only read writings that were in uh, Vietnamese or, or French, and they gave him a constant stream of these, these Marxist, communist, and atheist writings, 
Marx and Engels and these guys, just forcing them to read all this stuff to indoctrinate them. So they cut them off from, from uh, anything English. They're forcing him to, to read this. And after a while, I mean, it started to take a toll on him. After a while, he started, you know, doubting. Maybe everything that I've heard, maybe everything I've been told really is a lie. You know, maybe I've been trying to be put in this cage and I'm being, you know, oppressed by, by all of this. And eventually, through all this, this suffering and this propaganda and, and brainwashing, he eventually decided, you know, when I wake up tomorrow, I'm not going to pray anymore. I'm just done. He decided, I'm, I'm not going to pray. I'm, I'm no longer going to seek after God. And that's what I'll do in the morning. He went to sleep. He woke up the next morning, and he was assigned uh, in the prison duty to clean the latrines. Okay, the toilets. Uh, so the toilet facilities in a you know, communist prison camp, uh, not the most highly sought after um, duty. It was disgusting. It was, it was filthy, and it was awful. And as he's doing this, uh, there was a kind of a, a, a tin bucket uh, that they would put the used toilet paper in. And he says he's having to clean this out. He noticed something that he, it looked like a little bit of English. And so it just caught his eye because he hadn't seen English in, in so long. So he quick grabbed it when no one's looking and, and put it in his pocket. And um, later on, kind of washed it off real quick and, and saved it, planning to read it later on that night. So when nighttime rolled around, um, he took out the, the damp piece of paper and took out a small flashlight and started to read this. What is this? You know, something that's, that's in English. That I, what does this be? And he started reading this, and he was just shocked and started trembling when he pointed the flashlight at the top and it said Romans chapter 8. And he read, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. And he was just taken back. And he realized it was, uh, it was a page of the Bible, a page of the book of Romans. Remember, this was supposed to be the first day that he had, was going to not pray at all. That he was going to just, you know, give in and give up on, on the things of God. But after this, he had this, uh, this one page of scripture. And kind of playing a hunch, he, the next day he volunteered to clean the latrines again. Nobody volunteers to do this, but he did. And what he found after a while uh, was that apparently there was some kind of communist officer that was in the prison uh, that was using a Bible as toilet paper uh, to degrade it and to, um, you know, just to, to blaspheme God. And so Hein Pham would, each day he would go in and he would retrieve one of these and, and wash it off. And he would feed himself on, on taking in the word of God. And God used this throughout this prison sentence to, to, keep his, to keep his hope alive and to keep his faith alive. Let me ask you, if you had just one page of the Bible, how much would you value it? If you had just one page of the Bible and you didn't know if you were ever going to have another page, how much would you value, no matter what page it is? How much would you look at it? Do you study it? Would you learn it? Would you feed on this? And how much do you crave God's word? I think of what that man was willing to do in order to get God's word. And we have such easy access. But what do we do to actually be in God's word? There's an application to this as well. If we have God's word that is, that is in us, we're to feed on it. God's word is a quality. It is good. It is pure. 
And so an application practically from this as well. We are to put God's word to our mouth, taste it, but then put away from your mouth. Get out of your mouth any words that are not good and pure like God's word. Look again at at verse 1. So put away all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. These are all things, so many of these have to do with what we say and how we treat other people through this. Malice, wanting bad things to happen to someone, you know, ill will. That's, that's part of our old heart. Put that away, Christian. Live out of your new heart that the Holy Spirit has given you through the word of God. Deceit, being untruthful, speaking from sneaky motives, the, the opposite of pure. We're to put that away. Hypocrisy or insincerity. We're to put that away, pretending to be something that we're not. You know, envy, which is a, a heart's desire, and it's so much of this is behind the reason that we are deceitful and insincere at times is because of envy and slander, spreading words against someone to harm them. And all these things, these, these ought not to be coming out of our mouths. And as God is changing us from the inside out, by, by his word of God, which is pure and abiding and new and living and all these things, Start to live out of this new life that God has given you. Not to earn your salvation, because, but this is the new person that God has made you into. This is the new core that he has given you, Christian. These are sins that destroy relationships. These are the enemies of brotherly love. How are your relationships with others? Are they healthy or are they toxic? Do you need a new heart? Do you need to be born again? as the core of everything? And do you need to live out of that new heart? If you want to love the way that you ought to love, you must be born again. Because our old heart, remember our old heart is sinful and corrupted, and a sinful and corrupted heart loves sin. But a born-again heart, a born-again heart loves people, and a born-again heart loves God through his word. So taste and see that the Lord is good. And Christian, you have been born again to a living hope through the living word of God. Let's pray. Lord God, we come before you and we praise you and we thank you for the word of God. We thank you for it, that it is pure, that it gives us everything that we need, Lord God that you worked through the word of God and through the gospel message by your spirit for our salvation, Lord God. This is not something that we could have done on our own or did without you, Lord God, but you work this in our heart. And Lord, I pray for anyone that is here that has not been born again, that you would speak to them by your spirit through your word. They would realize their desperate need for this. And that they would have saving faith, that they would turn to you, Lord God, trusting in Jesus Christ alone as their Savior, as the one that did everything that's required for their salvation when he lived his perfect life and died on the cross and rose again. May they obey the truth by, by believing, by casting themselves upon Jesus. May they be saved. May they have born-again hearts being a new creation, Lord God. So work that truth in the hearts of people here that are hearing this, that need it, Lord. May they come to you right now. May you draw them to yourself. And may they know it, Lord God. 
And for those of us that have been born again, may we always crave this word like a baby craves milk. Give us a taste for it. Give us a longing for it and a hunger for it because it is what nourishes us and keeps us alive and makes us grow. It is all from you. You deserve all praise. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.